0: Well, good evening again. Good to see you and welcome to all of you who join us online tonight as we study First Peter together. First of all, we begin with the ordinance of baptism, though. It's always a special time whenever we can baptize and tonight Becky Williams is baptized. If you remember, she was one of the ones that we honored for the 50th wedding anniversary on Sunday and now she's baptized this evening. So let's have a word of prayer and then we'll have our baptism together. Father, thank you tonight for the opportunity to study your word. God, to, I pray you'll speak to us through this powerful passage. And Lord, I just pray that you'll bless Becky tonight with her baptism. Thank you for her faith, for her obedience tonight. God, just may be a special night for her as well. Thank you for everyone who's joined us this evening to celebrate the baptism and also to hear your word. God, may the Holy Spirit be our teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Church family, this is Becky Williams, and watch her testimony.
1: Hello, my name is Becky Williams. I humbly and proudly come to you tonight to profess Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I was blessed to be born into a wonderful Christian home. My mother was an outstanding role model daily of a Christian woman. At the age of nine, I professed my faith in Jesus. Since that time, going to church and trying to be a good Christian has continued to be a central part of my life. A few years ago, I realized the church we attended had moved away from some of the basic beliefs. I noticed I was no longer getting Bible-based sermons and I missed them. Not long after that, COVID came along. I had been hearing wonderful things about First Baptist Garland and it seemed the perfect time to check it out. We streamed FBC throughout the COVID shutdown. By the time things were opening back up, we were anxious to attend in person to soak up the Christian atmosphere we had seen on our TV. Thankfully, it was what we expected and more. It was very welcoming, and we felt we were learning each week. We met many new friends and were impressed by the many ways they were ministering to others inside and outside of the church. It was very infectious to witness and made me want to do more. As Pastor Greg mentioned a few weeks ago, it matters who your friends are. I want to thank you all as I feel we have found a new church home and look forward to continuing our Christian journey with you.
0: Becky, that's an awesome testimony. If you're a part of Becky's family, one of her friends, part of her Sunday school class, would you stand tonight? Becky, you'll see people standing here that are excited about your baptism. They're here to support you and help you grow in your faith. So, Becky, do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, rose on the third day, and now he is your Lord? Yes, I did. In obedience to the commands of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and upon your profession of faith in him, I baptize you, my sister Becky, in the name of the Father. Son, Holy Spirit, buried with Christ through baptism, raised to walk in new life. Amen. That's always a blessing, isn't it? Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, doesn't matter. It's always a blessing to see those follow in the obedience of baptism. Well, turn with me to 1 Peter tonight. We'll look at chapter 1, and we will be in verses 3 through 7 our study, of course, entitled, Culture Shock, because the believers at that time had been scattered, Jewish, or rather Gentile believers, trusted Jesus as Savior, scattered throughout northern part of Asia Minor, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, scattered across there, and they were undergoing persecution because of of the uh, culture that didn't understand Christianity, and what they did understand they disliked it, they hated it, and they persecuted it. And so how do you be a believer in a culture like that? Very much like our day, in a culture that sometimes doesn't understand what we believe, ridicules what we believe, gets angry at what we believe, yet we have to live out our faith in a culture very similar. So that's what we're looking at and we will be uh, throughout the, this study and beginning tonight, chapter 3, verses, uh, verses 3 through 7. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, you heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. What is that called? Doxology. What does doxology mean? Doxa, Greek word for glory. Lagos, word for word. It's glory word. You're you're giving glory word to the Father, praise God from whom all blessings flow. So I begin our study tonight with a doxology you're very familiar with. Peter did the exact same thing. Verse 3 begins a doxology, a glory word, that every one of the believers in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, they would have known Remember last week whenever we were looking at the introduction and I told you that several times through here he quotes hymns. Just like we quote hymns sometimes in sermons. He begins by quoting a hymn, a doxology they would have been very familiar with. Just like I did just now. That's how Peter started. So, verse 3 is the doxology that he begins with they would have known. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, we'll go verse by verse through here. First of all, letter A on your outline, verse 3 is a living hope. That's what he talks about is a living hope. First thing I want to show you Notice how many times, in only three verses, Peter uses the name Jesus Christ. Verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, that's 1, to those who are in uh, exiles in the dispersion, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, that's number 2, And for the sprinkling of his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord. Number 3, Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, cause us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's 4 from the dead. 3 verses, 4 times he's already mentioned Jesus Christ. Now, who is Peter? He was the disciple, followed Jesus, wrote this letter. The one that loved his Lord, sometimes denied his Lord, but loved his Lord. And there's something about the name Jesus Christ he seems to like. Yeah, he denied the name, but now he's given his life full time to tell the name. Four times in the first three verses. Now, notice he begins verse three Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Three times in this letter, he all of a sudden burst out into praise. I mean, he's just going along and he burst out into praise. Now, what's going on at that time in the culture? Persecution of Christians hatred of Christians, antagonistic culture toward Christians, you mean to tell me that Peter bursts into praise in the midst of a culture that hates him? So when Peter thought about the trials he was experiencing in culture, his first thought was praise. Now let me ask you, Is that your first thought? Culture when trials come against you and a culture where you have everybody wanting to determine their own gender and you go, praise the Lord. And everybody that's persecuting everything you believe and getting angry at Christians and canceling you and praise the Lord. Homosexuality, just simply an alternative, like praise the Lord. Is that your first response? Or do you gripe about it all? praise three times three times in this letter the culture around him was angry and he went praise god well that already tells us something to begin with doesn't it and maybe we got the wrong attitude if all we're going to do is complain about our culture instead of praise god in the midst of our culture Maybe we need to be more like Peter. So this is the first of those three times where he bursts into praise. Notice he says next in verse 3, according to his great mercy. Talking about God's mercy. Not grace, but mercy. Now, you know there's a difference between grace and mercy. Grace is... Is not getting or is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. You do deserve hell and punishment, but you don't get it. That's mercy. You don't deserve heaven, but you get it. That's grace. So mercy is res- not receiving what you should have received. Mercy is the result when our sin and our corruption are seen and we don't get the the results of it. We are pitiful and pathetic and helpless to get ourselves out of our state. But whenever God reaches down and gets us out of our state, that's mercy. And he begins by saying, according to his great, the word is abundance, it means, it's interesting the word that's used there, the word poly, P-O-L-Y, you know, means many. Polygon, many-sided. Poly means many. Whenever you put the, the plural with it, it means many, 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 many. And so the word that's used there for great is not mega. It's the word poly with the plural with an S, polys. Abundant. Mercy that God has on us. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon says about mercy. No other attribute of God could have helped us if mercy had been refused. Justice condemns us. Holiness frowns upon us. Power crushes us. And the law condemns us. But it's mercy... Where all of our hope begins. He's right. Of all the attributes God possesses, the one I need the most and you need the most at the very beginning of the book is mercy. Because we've sinned and we deserve punishment. But God in His great mercy does not send it. So look at the next phrase. According to His great mercy... He has caused us to be born again. Now stop there for a moment. Look at that phrase. Caused us to be born again. Now the phrase born again is very common in Baptist churches. But it's not very common in the Bible. We call being saved being born again. That's a term you hear a lot in Baptist churches. We it's called trust in Jesus. It's accepting Christ. It's asking Jesus into your heart. Those are phrases we use. Born again, we use that one a lot, but the Bible doesn't use "born again" very often. In fact, the most common phrase to describe salvation in Scripture is "in Christ." That's the most common phrase. But we don't say, are you in Christ? We say, are you born again? So why did Peter use the phrase born again if the Bible doesn't use it that much? Good question. Who did use it? Jesus. Peter seems to be doing everything his Lord did. Because he followed him for three and a half years. Jesus is the one that used the phrase born again with John chapter 3 with Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you must be born again. But it's not used after that very often. Maybe Peter used that phrase because that's the phrase his Lord used. Not Paul, but Jesus And born again, the the wording that's used there is interesting. It's the word, the prefix ana, which means again. And it's the word geneo, which means we get the word genesis, beginnings, beginnings again. So becoming a Christian is like you are born all over again. You're beginning again. It's not rehabilitation. It's new birth. So many people in churches, they they come into church and and they think, they hear me preach on Sunday, and they think being saved means being a better me. This old person I am needs to be better. So they think it's rehabilitation. Rehabilitation. This old person of who I am, sinful as I am, I need to stop cursing, and I need to stop going to places I do, I need to stop getting angry, I need to stop doing, you need to stop doing all those things. They think that's salvation. It's not. You can never rehab yourself enough to be saved. You've got to be born again. Transformation, not rehabilitation. Where a new person on the inside is born in Christ. Not just an old life getting better. And that's what he says. Who caused us, according to his great mercy, caused us to be born again. Look at the next phrase. To a living hope. A living hope. Peter talks a lot about hope. In fact, Peter talks more about hope than anybody else in the Bible. Remember the culture Wasn't very hopeful, was it? Persecution. Some people are being killed for their faith. Not as many as would be later, but some were. And in the midst of that culture that hated Christianity, he was full of hope. Does that describe you? Are you really hopeful about our world? (laughs) A lot of us aren't. We're hopeless about the world. Peter was full of hope. In fact, some people say John was the apostle of love, because he talked about love a lot. Paul was the apostle of faith, talked about faith a lot. And Peter was the apostle of hope, because he talks about hope a lot. You see, folks, we live in a culture very similar to their culture. But rather than seeing our culture as hopeless, if Jesus is alive, there's a living hope out there that people can change, that culture can change, things can be different. It's a living hope. Hope is unshakable confidence that God is going to do what he said he would do. And Peter described this hope as living as opposed to a dead, lifeless hope. But I think he calls it a living hope because Jesus is alive. And as long as Jesus is alive, we have a living hope. Ours is a hope that has the power to change how we live. But then go to the next phrase. He's he's packing one good phrase after another. Look at what's next verse 3. Born again to a living hope, last phrase of the verse, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I found something interesting about that phrase. He didn't say the cross. He said the resurrection. Now most of us think the cross, that's our hope. Peter didn't say that. He said resurrection was the resurrection that's our hope the fact that jesus got up on that sunday morning and walked out and is still alive that's our hope not the cross he didn't say through the cross he said through the resurrection oh he remembered that day he he remembered resurrection sunday You see, it had been three days since he had denied the Lord, and he felt awful. And early that Sunday morning, the women came running, and they found he and John together, and said, guess what? You're not going to believe it. the tomb where they laid him. It's empty. And Peter probably flashed through his mind, doubt. No, no, no. I saw him kill him. He's dead. We'll get our hopes up. No, no, no. It's empty. Mary even saw him in the garden. He said to meet you in Galilee. John and Peter ran back to the tomb. Oh, he remembers that day all right. That's why he says our living hope, not the cross, not that day I denied. It was that day he came alive. And I came alive again too. Verse 4. An imperishable, let her be, inheritance. He continues, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now let's th- look at that verse right quick. To an inheritance. What do you think of when you think of the word Inheritance. Well, somebody died and left you something, right? Yes. Somebody died, Jesus, and left you something salvation. So, whenever you receive it, you have received an inheritance. Have you ever thought of your salvation as being an inheritance? I mean, Abraham was the very first one that was told, you have an inheritance, and it ended up being the promised land. And he had a journey to get there. As the Jews anticipated their promised land through the wilderness, so we anticipate our promised land of heaven. It's our inheritance because Christ is our inheritance. But look at the next phrase. Imperishable, undefiled, unfading, reserved in heaven for you. So your inheritance, imperishable, undefiled, unfading. Let's talk about those three words for a second. In in English, they sound unconnected, disconnected, but in Greek, they're not. The word imperishable, aptharton, the word undefiled, amianton, and the word unfading, Amaranton. They sound similar. They all start with A in Greek. They all have the same ending, T-O-N ending. They sound similar. It's like three words that sound alike. So Peter was using an alliteration here to describe our inheritance. They all start with the letter A Now, everything we know in this life is the opposite of all three of those words. Everything in this world is perishable, it's defiled, and it fades. Everything in this world does over time. But your salvation in Jesus is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. You can't lose it nobody can ravage or pollute your inheritance it will never fade away it will never get old it will never break your salvation never fades perishes or gets corrupted now i find this interesting in this phrase that that peter Describes what our salvation is not, but he doesn't describe what it is. Do you notice that? He says, your inheritance, it's undefiled, imperishable, unfading. He tells us what it's not, but he doesn't tell us what it is. Why? It's too glorious. How do you, de- how do you describe salvation? It's too glorious. He just tells us what it's not. But look at the last phrase of verse 4. Kept in heaven for you. I realize as Baptists we are criticized because we believe in what's called security of the believer. We believe once you are saved. Genuinely saved, not just coming to church, starting to go to church, genuinely saved, genuinely born again, you can never lose it and care what you do. Never lose it. I believe that not because I'm Baptist. In fact, I don't believe anything because I'm Baptist. I believe it because it's scriptural. So there's a lot of people out there that do do not believe. We probably have some here tonight if I were guessing. You, You secretly believe. You don't want to say anything about it because you're in a Baptist church. You secretly believe you can lose your salvation again. Almost every denomination believes it. More believe you can be lost again than believe you can be saved again. We're one of the few that believes you cannot lose it. Why do we believe that? A lot of verses, but I just want to focus on one tonight. Just one. What does it say in verse 4? Kept in heaven for you. Kept. The word is in Greek is terio. It means to watch something carefully. So in heaven... God is watching your salvation carefully. How can you lose it? Who's powerful enough to get it away from Him? You? You're not that strong. Don't, don't flatter yourself. You're not powerful enough to be lost again. Nobody else can take it from you. It is being guarded carefully. Attentively is what it means. Terio, kept. Heaven for you. But let's go to verse 5. Letter C on your outline a guarded salvation. It gets even better. Verse 5 Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now let's talk about that for a second. Remember, he's still talking about your inheritance, so much salvation. So let's think about it. Number one, he said, It's being guarded kept then he says to start verse 5 who by God's power not your own power God's power is keeping your salvation firm now if salvation were in my power I would agree with all those denominations you can be be lost again (laughs) I don't have the power to keep it But if it's God's power keeping it, nobody's more powerful than Him. You're not, nobody is. God's power is the guarantee of your salvation, His power. Think about His power. Well, it created the world, it parted waters, it raised the dead, it did miracles who's going to be more powerful than that to take your salvation away? And who are you? And who am I that we think we're so powerful enough that all we have to do is sin a little bit and it's gone? That's ridiculous. Because it's guarded by the power of God. Now, think back for a moment. Peter's writing this. If you remember, Peter is the one who denied Jesus around the campfire. But here, he sounds like somebody that is so secure in their salvation, you can't shake him. Coming from somebody who denied. Said, I don't know the man. I don't know what you're talking about. Cursed his name. I don't know what you're talking about. Cursed him. And he was restored. Here's a man writing this who had every reason to believe I can lose my salvation, and he didn't. And he's the one saying God's power is the garrison in which you find security. Dr. Meyer says it would have been of little comfort to know that our salvation is reserved in heaven if we had not been told it's being guarded by the power of God, but since it's being guarded by His power, I can't lose it. So, verse 5, who's being in the power of God, being guarded through faith. The word guarded, remember he's already used the word kept, watching something very carefully, but the word guarded is added to it It's the word fro in Greek. And that is a military term. It is a military sentinel, a military guard that guards something from an invading army into the city and guards the citizens of the city from leaving. Get the picture. Salvation is a picture being guarded by military guards so nobody can come in and get your salvation and you can't leave the city to lose it. It's a picture. As I was reading this and I thought about him using the word fro military guards, my mind went to the night they arrested Jesus. And old Peter is there. And there he was in the Garden of Gethsemane with the disciples, and the military guard came advancing across the Kidron Valley with torches and swords and weapons to arrest Jesus. There a ton of them. And they showed up to arrest him, and they're about to take him, and Peter, he's ready to fight grabs his sword and whacks at somebody's head and they duck and it cuts off their ear. Malchus and Jesus, no, no, I put puts your sword up, puts it back on. But I wonder if he had in mind that huge military guard coming to take Jesus in mind whenever he says, your salvation is guarded by this heavenly military guard nobody can penetrate. So do you think you can be lost again? No. Forget all the other verses that talk about it. Just this one, just this one is enough for me to know for certain once I'm saved, I'll always be saved. Then verse 5, being guarded through faith. There's how you come into the kingdom for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last Time. Did you notice he uses the bookends of born again and the last time, birth and, and going to heaven. Born, he uses the extremes of life, birth and going to heaven. He uses those us a lot. Then go to letter D on your outline, verse 6. And then we'll look at verse 6 and 7, we'll close. Verse 6, a rejoicing grief. Look at verse 6. In this you rejoice. Talking about our salvation. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Let's look at that verse. In this you rejoice. In the middle of a culture that is antagonistic, hateful, persecuting you, killing some of you. In this you rejoice, and the word he uses there means greatly, to exult, means exceedingly glad. Some commentators make a lot over the fact that the word for rejoice here is a futuristic present, which makes it sound like, well, we don't rejoice here, but we'll rejoice in heaven one day. But five other times in the New Testament, this word is used to meaning rejoice now in whatever you're going through tonight you may be going through something in your family in your personal life at your job and it's not pleasant and Peter tells us in the midst of all of this if it's God's will you go through that you rejoice in it look at the next phrase Though now for a little while, in other words, in comparison to eternity, our suffering's only a little while here. If necessary, notice that where he says, if, while if necessary, you may, may be grieved by trials. And that phrase, if necessary, means if God wills it. We may suffer, he says, for doing what's right. You've been grieved by various Trials, the word various there means multicolored. It's a Greek word that means many colors. So the trials you go through may take on a lot of different colors, a lot of flavors. Your trials may not be their trials and your trials may not be their trials because everybody's trials may be different. They're all multicolored, but trials come to all of us if God wills it if God wills it. So what Peter is saying is the suffering, the trials you're going through really not caused by the state or the government or they're really not caused by the emperor or the culture or the woke movement or Satan. They're from God. From God. Have you ever thought of the trials we go through as believers and you're going through maybe as an individual or family? Are trials from God? And we've been blaming them. But why would God allow those? Why would God be the one allowing such trials? Well, he answers the question in verse 7. So look at verse 7, a genuine faith. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God desires suffering here to refine the genuineness of our faith. This coming Sunday morning, I'll be preaching another narrative from the book of Kings, 2 Kings this time, chapter 4, on the faith of the, the woman of Shunem, the Shunamite woman. And the title of it is, What Does Genuine Faith Look Like? So God desires our suffering, so as a result of the suffering, your genuine faith shines out. And he says it's more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire. Trials do to faith what fire does to gold. What does fire do to gold? Well, it purifies it gets all the dross out, and what you have left after the fire and the gold is pure. And so Peter says, what fire does to gold, trials does to your faith. Because when you go through trials and hardships, and you come through them, what's shining is a genuine faith in Jesus. Gold is one of the most durable of all metals, yet one day it will perish. But your faith will not. And then look at the last phrase of verse 7. That it may be found, your faith may be found, to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The word revelation there is the word apocalypse. You know what apocalypse is, don't you? You Remember that from Revelation? It means an unveiling. So whenever Jesus is unveiled, your faith is going to result in the praise and the glory and the honor of Jesus. Notice Peter wasn't concerned with when this happens. Boy, we're all caught up in it. When's it going to happen? When's the second coming? When's when's the end times? Why are we in the tribulation? We're caught up in the when. He didn't even cover the when. He just said, it's a fact. It's going to happen. And when it happens, your faith through all those trials are going to be genuine before him. The more pure and refined the gold of our faith, the more clear you see the beauty and the worth of Christ. Let me say that again. The more pure and refined the goal of our faith, the more clearly the beauty and the worth of Jesus is reflected. When gold is pure, it shines. You can see yourself. When your faith is refined, you see Christ. This testing of our faith is not because God doesn't know we have faith. So maybe we don't know it. How many times somebody said, you know, well, what would you do in this situation? What would you do if becoming going to church would be illegal? What would you do if this, if that? And you'd say, well, I hope I would stay faithful. You don't know if you would or not, but you hope you would. Well, the trials reveal what you would do and what you do. And when you come through those with a strong faith, you see the beauty and the worth and the glory of Jesus reflected. So hang in there. Here's a man who knew what he's talking about. Next week, we'll pick up with verses 8 through 12. He ends this hymn, verses 8 through 12. A lot of good phrases that are left here. It's going to be a great study. Let's pray together. We'll... Father, I want to thank you tonight for the passages that we read. And God, just the the truths that come from your eternal word. God, I want to thank you that our inheritance is safely guarded in heaven by your power. Guarded so no one can ever take it away. And I praise you for that tonight, God. Thank you, God, for the trials that we go through, the the multicolored trials that they are. Lord, I just pray that, thank you for these and pray that we would come through these men and women of faith. And I just pray, God, through the pages of this book, you continue to encourage us, lift us up, give us instruction. And God, may we leave to be better people each Wednesday night. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you Sunday.